This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right. How is everybody tonight? Amen. Blessed. All right. Very good. Well, with tomorrow being Thanksgiving, you know, that's obviously something that we should have on our hearts and on our minds and Last Wednesday night, we kind of talked about some of the things we're thankful for. We looked at a a story that Jesus uh, had in the New Testament where he said, don't you remember? And he uh, was upset with the disciples because, remember, they were worried about, well, what are we going to do? We don't have enough bread. And Jesus said, hey, you're talking to the guy that's fed thousands of people with just a couple pieces of bread, and you're going to worry about bread. Don't you remember what I've already done in your life? And so we had a good look at that last week. And this week, what I want to look at... A little bit along the same lines, once again, is this, the danger of complaining. The danger of complaining, because a lot of people do not realize that there is danger involved when we let ourselves become a person that complains all the time. Now, it doesn't start off with somebody 24-7 being a complainer. It usually starts off with a little thing. You know, maybe they just start complaining about this or about that. And and it's okay sometimes to point out something that's wrong in life or, or something like that. But when we let it snowball into becoming a full-out lifestyle of complaining, you are on dangerous ground. And I'm telling you right now that you are starting to lock God's hands from blessing your life. And I've seen it many times, but I want to look at an extremely familiar verse. Well, it should be extremely familiar tonight, and that's Proverbs 18, verse 21. So let's flip over there real quick. Proverbs 18, 21. Is there anybody that knows Proverbs 18, 21 by heart? Anyone? Okay. My dad does. That's good. Uh, does anyone? <laughs> Katie Brady does. My mom does. All right. This is a verse you need to know. And I taught this to my kids last school year, and they, uh, and I mean, this one's drilled into their heads because you need to realize that there's power in your words. We all know that, right? That there is, our words are extremely, extremely powerful. And so, Proverbs 18:21 in the King James, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And in the NLT, it says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Now, that could be a really good thing, right? If you're going around saying good things, if you're going around saying positive things over your life, then this is a very encouraging verse. If you're going around saying negative things all the time and putting curses on your life, then this is a very scary verse because you will end up reaping the harvest of the words you've spoken. And a lot of times people are like, man, how did I find myself in this situation? You know, maybe you you end up someplace in life and you have no idea how it is that this actually happened. I found out a lot of times in my life, if I were to connect the dots and go backwards a little bit, a little ways in time, I can realize, wait a minute. I'm all I'm doing is reaping the harvest of my words. I was I basically prophesied this into being months ago when I started complaining nonstop about how much I can't stand this, how much I hate this over here. And next thing you know, yeah, sure enough, I thought it was bad. Then it's a lot worse now. And it's because I am reaping the consequences of my words. Death and life 
are in the power of the tongue. It's the absolute truth, and we have got to get the reality of this. And so we're going to talk briefly tonight um, about complaining and the danger that it is to your life. And you may think like, well, that sounds like an exaggeration, the danger. Are you sure you want to use the word danger for this? Oh, I'm positive that I want to use the word danger when I'm talking about complaining. It will shipwreck your life. And so three little things to to say tonight. The first one is this is number one is that complaining makes you weaker. Complaining makes you weaker. And uh, we're going to look at a verse here in just a second, Philippians 2. But I actually, I looked this up and a a doctor, uh, Travis Bradbury said, research shows that most people complain about once a minute during a typical conversation. I'm going to repeat that one, okay? Uh, research shows that most people complain about one time per minute during a typical conversation. And I'm like, that sounds a little exaggerated, but honestly, that could be true. That, that most people can go about at least once a minute and they complain that much during any conversation. And I know that I've read a lot of times as how much more likely a customer is to call in a complaint than they are to call in a compliment, right? I mean, and sometimes, you know, there's been, in my whole life, I can think maybe two or three times that I've called to complain to a business, and it was in extreme circumstances where I'm like, the manager needs to know how crazy this employee's being out here. But listen, and I don't have the stats on this, but I've read so many times how much more likely... A customer is to call in and complain and point out the, you know, the bad and everything than they are to call and give a compliment to the employee. And I try to, you know, take that the exact opposite. I mean, I try to, to call in and, and give compliments and, hey, Mr. Manager, you need to know how good this person's doing over here. They're working really hard for your company. They gave me top of the line customer service. Why are we so slow to point that out? But so many people are so quick to point out the, the every little thing that goes wrong. Why is that? Well, it becomes your nature after a while, and that's a dangerous spot to be in. Philippians 2.14, I want you to see this. Philippians 2 and verse 14, I'm going to let you turn there. And this is also another verse, now that you come to think of it, that I've had my kids memorize. Proverbs 18.21 is at the top of the list. And this is also towards the top of the list of verses that they have been, I'm not going to say forced, but they've been uh, taught uh, throughout the school years because I need them to get this in their system now. I don't want them to be like so many adults that we see. And so Philippians 2 and verse 14, and this is just, I mean, it can't get any more black and white than this. This is simple. Philippians 2.14, it says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Is that deep or what? Not so much. No, that's, that's very basic. That's almost like, that's, that's really not deep. But it's so, so important that we get a hold of this. It doesn't say, now do some of your stuff without complaining and arguing. Now, I'm telling you right now, every now and then. No, it says, do everything. How many things? Every, every thing, every single one, every single thing, do it without 
complaining and arguing. And I, you know, we joke, but I think there's some people that have misinterpreted that verse and says, do everything with complaining and arguing. Because I know some people, they can't do a single thing without complaining and arguing. And I mean, it, it sounds exaggerated, but it's so true. And the people that live their lives as full-time complainers, they didn't just start out that way. It starts with one little thing, and it snowballs until you're out of control, and you're speaking death and, 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 and uh, defeat over every area of your life. You're defeating your children with your words. You're killing your marriage with your words. You're destroying your job with your words. You're doing damage to Barstow with your words. I'm telling you right now, man, words are important. And the scripture tells us, do everything without complaining and arguing. And, I'm, and I know this much, the weakest Christians that I know are the ones that complain all the time. That's just personal observation of 34 years of being surrounded by Christians everywhere. The weakest Christians that I know are the ones that complain all the time. And I know the one, the, the Christians that I look up to, the people that I want to be like, the people that have a tight relationship with God, it seems like they get their prayers answered. They hear from God on a daily basis. Those people, I notice that they're not complainers. They're not, they're, they're just flat out not complainers. They see negative things, they experience negative things, but they don't sit there and magnify and blow up and give praise to the negative things. Give praise? Yeah. Some people, well, what is praise? It's when you're giving all the attention and, 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 and magnifying something. I want to magnify God and give him praise. I don't want to praise my problems. I don't want to magnify my problems, and that's precisely what so many people do, and it is a dangerous situation to be in. You know, I've, I've known a lot of people like this, but I know one, one young man I know especially, he, he complains about every job that he has. So he, he, he gets a new job, and then, and then when he gets to that job, oh, man, I hate this job. That last place was so much better. This is the worst job I've ever had. So then they quit, and then they go on to the next one. Oh, my gosh, this place stinks. I wish it was just like the last place. And then they quit that. And then the very next one, oh, my gosh, man, this place is the dumps. I wish it was like the last place. And I'm like, my gosh, dude, could it possibly be that you just complain about everything and nothing's ever good enough and that you're spoiled? Could it be that? You know, and, and, and speaking of being spoiled, I was, you know, I think that we – need to see and this sounds so cliche this sounds like ah, we've heard that since we were kids but really this does bear uh, uh this deserves to be to be thrown out there and discussed but how many of the things do we complain about here all right us in this room and you know how many of the things that we complain about really are what we would call first world problems let's just be super legit for a minute uh, just a, a couple, an hour ago i was sitting on the couch watching little house on the prairie before i came to church because hey you know what i mean got to get that in that's right okay there we go and so i'm watching the little charles ingles action and uh and so my mother-in-law she runs out of ice cream now for just a minute i thought nobody in this world liked ice cream more than pastor but i found somebody that likes ice cream more than my dad and she moved in with me and it's my mother-in-law she loves ice cream i'm like dang wow 
she loves ice cream. So, and she deserves, she's earned that right. You know, she's earned every right to love ice cream. And so, anyway, she, she runs out of ice cream and Katie, we're sitting on the couch. She's like, well, she calls me David. So, David, my mom ran out of ice cream. And I was like, no! Oh my gosh, no! She ran out of ice cream? And I was just joking because that's seriously not that big of an issue to run out of ice cream. So my mother-in-law's laughing and they're like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, wow, Brenda, oh my gosh. Just earlier today, I was, I was sitting here feeling sorry for the little kids in Nicaragua that I visited because they don't have any rice to eat tomorrow. But then I realized that you don't have ice cream. Wow. This just really puts everything into perspective. And so she's laughing and I'm like, but let's get real for a minute. And she, she's not complaining, but I'm just, it, it just opened my eyes a little bit to some of the stupid stuff that we in America complain about. Man, I don't know, in the ice cream, the store's closed, blah, 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 blah. And oh, they closed at 11, and here I am, it's 11.05, and I need this. <laughs> I'm like, my Lord. Yeah, my dad's on his way to Dairy Queen, and I gotta wrap this sermon up so dad can get to Dairy Queen. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now. You know, I remember we were in Nicaragua, uh, Katie and my dad, Dave, some of us in this room. And I remember one of the places we went to, probably the worst spot was, uh, it was to the dump for the, for the city dump. And it was so bad that the orphans of the city, they lived at the dump. They would cover up, on, they would climb in, I mean, mountains of trash. They would burrow a little hole into the dump, crawl in there at night, and sleep inside of the trash. And, the, I mean, the smell was terrible. They'd crawl out during the day and, you know, I mean, it was legit bad. And, and you know, and, and so I, I just look at situations like that, and here I am, you know, concerned that, you know, I'm, I, you know, may not have, sweet potatoes tomorrow or whatever the case is or, or i may not oh man they sold out of this and then this store is always sold out of everything and the stupid things we complain about and i'm and i'm betting that those little orphans that we prayed for that live in the dump in nicaragua they would love to have my problems they would they would love to deal with my issues because they are so minuscule you know, I, I, we're doing, working on selling the house and getting a new one. And it, I mean, it's, it's not been fun. Selling a house is flat out. It's not fun at all. And then waiting on, you know, do they accept this offer? You're going back. And, you know, here I am wanting to complain about this. And I'm thinking, my gosh, how spoiled am I that I even have the opportunity to want to complain about my house not selling fast enough, the house that I own? To go get a much bigger house. And here I am wanting, are you serious? Do you realize the people that there are in this world that would love to have your problems? And here I am being, you know, I mean, that's just, it's, it, it's, it's honestly shameful some of the things that I've complained about in my life now that I think about it compared to what a lot of other people are going through that is so much worse than what I've ever gone through. And so, Let's just examine that a little bit and, 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 and realize that, man, we've really got a pretty good life, don't we? Who in here could say, I've really, I've got a, I've got a good life. I've, I've dealt with some stuff, but I've got a pretty good life. I'm super, super blessed. And, um, and, you know, I heard the, the great author Mark Twain, you know, wrote Tom Sawyer and all these books, but, but he said this, 
don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of people don't care, and the other 20% probably think you deserve them anyway. And I'm like, oh. He, he was known for being silly, but anyway, I'm just kind of like, dang, Mark, that kind of hurt a little bit. Kind of got me right here. So, all right, the second thing I'm going to say is this. Number one is complaining, it makes you weaker. But number two is complaining, it prolongs the issues. Complaining will keep you in the wilderness a lot longer than you have to be there. And I want to look at a story here. Exodus chapter 16. Let's flip back to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Exodus chapter 16. And we need to realize that complaining does not get us out of our our situation or our circumstances any faster. And it does the exact opposite. It keeps us in the situation a whole lot longer than we're supposed to be there. Exodus chapter 16, going to look at verses 1 through 3. This is a story of the children of Israel. Uh, They've been delivered, they've been set free, and then they turn into some monumental complainers, as we're well aware. Exodus 16, verse 1, it says, Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. I'm like, wait a minute. The guy that just rescued you from 400 years of slavery, that's the guy you want to complain about? And so sure enough, they turn on Moses and Aaron, which you'll see happens a lot. Verse 3, it says, they said... If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Now, they're reminiscing about how good it was when they were slaves. They got beaten every day in the desert sun and were forced to make bricks for somebody that hated them. But it was better because they got to sit around pots Full of meat every night. Now, this is the same people that God delivered bread every single day, manna, and He delivered meat every day by sending quail to straight run into their camp. They didn't have to go out hunting, the quail came to them every single day. And God's only instructions were hey, don't keep any leftovers. Eat what you need for that day, and then I'll give you some more tomorrow. Just don't keep the leftovers. And Sadly enough, they couldn't even follow those instructions. God gave them one test of obedience for their food, and they st- some of them still tried to, to, to break the rules on that. But here they are, and they're, they're t- saying how much better it was to be a slave to the enemy instead of free with God because they had more of what they wanted back then. That's a dangerous spot to be in. And, and the reason I'm pointing this out is, is because this is just the beginning Turning into a complainer always has a point A, but that's just the beginning. It, it, it progresses from there. And so this is where they started. And I want to look here at Exodus chapter 32. So just flip up a little bit. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And so here we have the story of Moses being on the mountain with God, 
God's giving him the Ten Commandments. This is one of the pivotal moments in the history of our faith. And the people, they decide, well, it's taken them too long up there. We know he's up there with God and all that. Yeah, that's fine. But what's taken so long? Like, you're going to rush this thing? So Exodus 32, looking at verses 1 through 4, it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. Whoa. 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 I'm gonna, can I say one more time? Whoa. What in the world did I just read right here? Come on. Make us some gods who can lead us. So the God that led you out of Egypt did ten, ten plagues against the Egyptians, read you, led you through the Red Sea, got water out of rocks, sent stuff every single day to you. He is no longer capable of leading you because it's taking the man of God too long and you've got things to do. No, you don't. You're walking in circles in the wilderness. You have nothing else to be doing right now. And how many of us, we get so impatient that we just start complaining. What's taking so long, man? What's going on? And so their complaining started at, man, we, we kind of liked it back in Egypt, to we need a new God. We just flat out need a new God. And it was a progression. He, they say, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. This fellow Moses? Who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, all right, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. <clears throat> when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I mean, if I'm headed for the hills, I'm not going to stick around to see what's going to happen. That's bad news right there. They make their own God, and then they say, this is what's going to rescue us. Pause. It's easy to point to them. How many of us mold our own little God of money? How many of us mold our own little God of, wow, if I just had this, this would fulfill me? Baal never fulfills you. Baal will curse you every single day. And so they make and form and fashion their own God, and they really think that this is their answer. It's easy to point and laugh, but I know a lot of people that they're cool, they're, they're Christian, but they've, whether they know it or not, they would never admit it, but it's the absolute truth. They have formed and fashioned their own little God of sorts, and they think that that's how they're going to get their fulfillment. It will curse them and haunt them and bring them down. And so here we have these guys doing all this stuff. They, they, they make this God and they think that, that, that bails the answer. And, uh, and so we're going to skip down to verses 19 and 20 of the same chapter just for time's sake. So Moses up on the mountain talking with God and he realized, man, what is going on down there? Verse 19. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. I mean, wouldn't that just make you mad right there? If, if you saw a bunch of your, your people 
they're, they're, they're dancing and bowing down to this God they just made. So Moses threw the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. And here's one of my favorite Bible stories. What did, what did he do with their God? Then he ground it into powder, <laughs> threw it in the water, and forced the people to drink it. And they deserve that. I mean, here's, okay, your God's so powerful, why don't you drink him? He grinds Baal down into a powder and makes them drink their God. But I'm telling you, man, this is, this is a sad story. This is a sad story that these guys that had seen the hand of God time and time again on a daily basis, their complaining took them so far off the path that God had for them, that they eventually tried to replace God with something else. Well, again, you think that's exaggerated. You think that that's just blowing things out of proportion. It's not. Letting yourself become a person that lives a lifestyle of complaining. I'm not talking about every now and then. I'm talking about your lifestyle becomes complaining. In this case, it led to them trying to replace God with something that they made themselves. That is not that far-fetched. To think that that could happen to somebody in 2019 that's a Christian and lives in America. That's not that far-fetched. It could happen, and it does happen. It doesn't happen overnight, but it does eventually happen when we leave our words unchecked. So as we all know, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. Do you know that this journey from Egypt to Canaan is an 11-day walk? 11 days turned in to 40 years. You can look at a map. I mean, I've traced it out. I've, I've followed uh, the path that they took and, 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 and studied the scripture. You can look at the route they took. Canaan, Egypt. They left, and they didn't go straight there. They started out. They turned into little complainers, and God did this for 40 years. They just went in circles. And why was that? Because God said, you are not getting in there until every complainer dies off. They couldn't handle the promised land. They'd ruin the promised land with their complaining. Why is that? Because people that don't check their complaining, they take it with them everywhere they go. The same guys that would complain in Egypt getting beaten are the same guys that will complain in the promised land eating grapes, living the good life. They will find some way to destroy the promised land with their words. And God said, they ain't getting in. I don't care. You remember the story? Numbers, right? Chapter 13. That God sends the, they send the, ten, the, the 12 spies in to come back and say, it's awesome. We've got this. Ten say, no, no way. It's awesome, but we ain't, we're not getting in there. No way. There's giants. I'm terrified. So everybody that agreed with the ten, God said, okay. Hit the road. You're going to walk and wander until every single one of the fearful complainers dies off, and then I'll send you in. Most of the guys that made it into the promised land were not born in Egypt. They were not born at the time that any of this happened. They were born out there along the road on the way there. Man, isn't that sad that these guys that endured all the bad stuff, that went through everything, they never could make it in. Why? What does that tell us? That God takes our words and our attitude very, very seriously. I mean, that, that's, 
that's just that, that's that's incredible to look at at how serious God takes our words, our heart and our attitude. And so I'm going to I'm going to get into our third point here tonight. And that's this. Number three is that thankfulness brings the blessings. Thankfulness brings the blessings. And this this isn't rocket science, but I know when I was in college in Oklahoma, my pastor one time said that there's two types of Christians. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to take note on this. He said there's two types. You've got your praisers and you've got your complainers. Praisers always find something to praise God about. Complainers always find something to complain about. I was like, oh, man, that's deep. That's right on. Because I know some of the people I know that have been through the hardest times, they're the ones at the altar praising God right through the storm. Then a lot of the people I know that pretty much live on easy street, they're the ones that are just nonstop. I'm like, what's the deal? Praisers will always find something to praise and thank God about. And complainers, no matter if it's good or bad, they will always find something to complain about. I mean, I'm looking at myself like, man, what type of Christian am I? Am I the one that's always finding something to praise and thank God for? Or am I the one that's, no matter how good it is, trying to find that one little imperfection in every single situation? You know, I think about Job. You know, a lot of people uh, read the book of Job and and uh, obviously it's a great book of the Bible because it's in the Bible. But so many people read Job and have just a, a they get something different out of it than what I get out of it. I, I, you know, maybe I'm weird, but I think that you're probably the weird one. Either way, one of us is. So we're looking at it. And and most people are like I brother, I identify with Job. I'm going through a Job. I'm like, oh, you mean you repented of your bad attitude and God gave you double than what you had before? No, bad things are happening to me. Oh, because I identify with Job, but not that way. I identify in Job chapter 42 and verse 10 when Job repented of all the bad, mean things he said about everybody. And when he did that, God gave him double of everything that he had lost. So many people, they, they, they read, I mean, it's, it's a pretty long book. And so they read the whole thing and it's like they miss the obvious point to the whole book. The whole point isn't that, man, a lot of bad stuff happened to him. And, gee, I've had bad things. I must be like Job. The point is, is that Job had a great life. Some bad stuff happened. And he turned into a mean, nasty, bitter man. But towards the end of the book, his eyes are open. And he's like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? He repents. And he says, God, forgive me. Everything I have spoken wrongly against you. I've spoken wrongly against people. I've been wrong. God, forgive me. And he prayed for his friends who weren't exactly the best friends in the world, but he prayed for them. And it says when he did this, God restored everything he had lost. And then God gave him double of everything that he'd ever had before. That's what I identify with. I identify with the good portion of Job. When he decided to check his attitude and change things. And so thankfulness, the right heart brings the blessings. The last verse here I'm going to look at is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And so I can guarantee you tomorrow that as you're stuffing your gullet full of turkey. Anybody? All right. Thank you. 
Cletus and I have had this discussion. I offered to come and eat his leftovers. He respectfully declined and said that I'm not invited to his house. That's fine. That's fine. I'm good. I've got a family, but I'm just saying. I offered. And so, as we're stuffing our faces tomorrow, giving thanks for everything, watch yourself. Because inevitably, somebody's going to find something. Man, you see the news today, man. I'll tell you what, man. Just give him back again. Where, man, I'll tell you what, right Somebody is going to take this perfect day, set aside for giving thanks. We've done it for 400 and some years now, just about 398 years, technically, I think. We, I mean, we, hundreds of years, a day set aside to give thanks. And I can guarantee you that some clown in your family is going to try to turn it in to a day of complaining about things in America, things at your work, things at your school, things at your church, things about the other family members that aren't there. Don't join in. Don't do it. Don't wreck Thanksgiving by turning into a day of bitter complaining. Just at least for one day. Give yourself a day off. You deserve it. You deserve it. <laughs> Give yourself a day off. Don't let them come in and try to rain. Because it's already going to be raining in Barstow. Let's give God thanks for that. Come on, somebody. Cold and rain. It's been a long time. We'll look forward to this. But don't let tomorrow of all days turn into some day of, uh, usually the union at work. They're doing this now. and pff, I'm, I'm a teamster. Listen. Stop it. Give thanks tomorrow that you got a job. Give thanks tomorrow that you live in America sitting at a table full of food. That you got clothes on your back, man. That, that it's going to be cold and rainy, but I would go on a limb and say not a single person in this room will have to be sitting out in the cold in the rain. Because you don't have a place to go. Let's, if, if we can't give thanks tomorrow, let's just... Between turkey and mashed potatoes, let's just shut the trapper, okay? Let's not wreck this perfect day. And so Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, and I have named this portion of Scripture the peace equation. And if you want to know how to have peace in your life, this tells you precisely what to do. Having peace is not complicated. It is not rocket science. It does take a little discipline. But Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Well, what's going to happen when I do all that, Pastor Dave? Well, verse 7, it says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's already done. And when you do this, then you will experience God's peace. His peace exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts, which is our spirit, and our minds, which is our soul, our, our emotions, and our, our, our thinking. It'll, it'll guard it. It'll put a guard around it. As we live in Christ Jesus. And so I'm encouraging us tonight. You know, this may seem like ah, a little wild and all over the place. But listen, if you want to experience God's best in your life, 
we got to guard our words. Let's use them in the right way. If you need, you know, a financial breakthrough, start thanking God for the money that you do have. If you need better food, start thanking God for the food that you do have. If you need a new husband, well, no, never mind. If, if you, <laughs> okay. If you need, what, thank God for what it is that you do have already. And when you do that, His peace will guard your hearts and your minds, and God will start doing some stuff in your life. I can guarantee you that. Start speaking life over your life and start giving God thanks. All right? Let's go ahead and end there tonight because we're going to get home. All right? Let's go ahead and stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.